0: Welcome to the Intersecting Us podcast, where math and life intersect. In today's episode, Dave and Brian discuss the pursuit of math, a journey into human flourishing. As we go through our life, we uh, sometimes come across some information that's helpful to us. And that's true when we're studying things, and that's true when we're reading. And sometimes you come across books that kind of touch you in a good way. We're going to do some review, I guess, and some looking at a book uh, called Mathematics for Human Flourishing. It's a book that Dave came across. And Dave, uh, this book is by Francis Sue. Uh, I was wondering, uh, what were your thoughts of the book? Uh, did you read it really fast? Was it something that really uh, smacked you really quickly? Or did you reread it? Or just tell me a little bit about the, maybe finding the book and, and what it uh, why it's so important that we're actually going to do some book reviews here on a few podcasts.
1: Sure. Welcome, everybody. It's always good to be here. I think I found the book on Amazon. Uh, Amazon knows I like reading math books, so (laughs) you know how that works. There are algorithms. They've got good math that works behind the scenes to give you books that you might find interesting. So I'm pretty sure that's where I found it. And what has really captured my attention and why I want to do some podcasts on this is that there are a lot of great math books out there that go through kind of like the history and the people and some interesting problems. But this one really hits on the human side of math and talks about what math can do for us as human beings. And so it's not looking at it from a utility perspective, like what problems can it solve as far as, you know, actual science. but. What can it do as far as developing our personal character and things like that? And it, uh, and so it was a different goal than most math books I've read. And I just thought it was extremely well written. I never heard of the author before, Francis Sue, but I immediately just, um, you know, kind of fell in love with his writing. It, it really was uh, hitting things that I was experiencing myself. And, you know, I like to write. And I always thought maybe it'd be kind of fun to write a book like this. And it was kind of cool because as I was reading the book, I realized I don't need to write a book about like this because he's already written it. And quite honestly, his book would be way better written than mine would be. And, and so this is almost like a book I would have liked to have written, but knowing that someone else has done it better than me. So I, I kind of promote it almost like this is a book I've written, which of course I haven't, but it just speaks to me. Uh, I guess so personally that I uh, have no trouble recommending it to others.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, just to kind of let the listeners know it's a purple book. It's got a pretty cover, uh, and again, Francis Sue. It's a. Uh, it's interesting because I, I I felt the same way when I read it, Dave. It was uh, well written, engaging. Uh, we're going to try to, the idea we have, there's 13 chapters. They're all just one word chapters. Like the first few are flourishing, exploration, meaning, play, beauty, performance. And I think they're easily accessible. And I, I think what we're going to try to do today is just kind of go through the first chapter a little bit and look at some of the comments and the, the thought that he had there and flourishing. And we'll see how it goes from there. If we'll do, there's 13 chapters, a nice, uh, that's a prime number, isn't it? Um, it nice, is. Yeah, nice number to use. And so, uh, and neither one of us are superstitious, uh, as far as I know. So thirteen should be fine. Francis Sue must not be, but that's uh, that's kind of neat. So uh, when you go through the book, I know when I read it. As if you've been listening to our podcast at all, I tend to look at things more from, from a philosophical viewpoint, and, and Dave, you tend to. Um, not that I don't also look at it through math, but. And then you sit, tend to start from more of a mathematical viewpoint and then kind of maybe move into the, but I thought this went with both really well. Um, I mm-hmm. thought it was an easy read if, if you're not a big math person, but you kind of think, well, what's math, what's that all got to do with life and all that? This is a mm-hmm. pretty good book uh, mm-hmm. to go to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things he mentions in the introduction is that math is intimately tied to being human. And that wasn't anything i had thought directly about before but the word he used was he is trying to awaken us awaken our senses our human senses that we would all hopefully agree upon as humans are good quality things to uh have as humans virtues and to explain how math awakens those virtues and he says this is not the last word. In fact, he's hoping that this is just a conversation starter. And so maybe we're taking it to that next step of the conversation. But uh we likewise, this is hopefully a conversation starter for you. And and it will th- inspire thoughts that you may have to have conversations with other people. And so anyway, that's the goal behind uh, the book and why we're talking about it uh in on our podcast
0: and i think it does do such a good job of what we try to do at intersecting us you know intersecting math and life because that's kind of what this book is really about at least it'd be one way you could characterize it i, I know uh i i read the kindle version so i don't know the page nations is the same but i know on page 7 he was talking about that how you know we should invest in people and invest in and that's what he sees math is doing is is challenging people to use their uh, skills to, to to do more. And as you get into the, the other chapters, there's more than just figuring out formulas and, and those types of things. But one of the quotes I really liked is he said, our failure to invest in people is already affecting us now. Mm. Uh, we are easily manipulated when we don't understand how new technologies work, but expect them to make decisions on our behalf. And I thought we had one, we had a podcast, I don't know, a few weeks back that was about ai a little bit or had some of that in there and that made me think of that but how many technologies do we use we're using one right now and how much do i understand and you know as well as i do dave you don't have to understand i don't have to understand completely how my car works to get it to work but it does help if something goes wrong mm-hmm. uh, it's the same thing with technology or, or math when you know you get the quintessential thing i get this at, uh, at my church all the time it's the idea those people don't know how to count change anymore. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but it's so funny. It's like, you know, I gave them a 20 and it was, you know, 15, 55. And they gave me back, you know, 10, 10, 15. Or something. That doesn't even make any sense. But people, again, it's it's kind of like that old idea, you know, kids grow up without learning. Then that's just basic subtraction. But when it gets to even something deeper, we've talked about that before, how knowing what calculus is and integral and differential and, and know, you know, what's behind it. He doesn't get into that too much, but he does get into the fact that this is how you think, and it helps. The, and the whole flourishing idea, what a neat title, you know, mm-hmm. Mathematics for Human Flourishing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was that was the way he – and, of course, the first chapter is about flourishing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the very first quote, uh, Brian, you probably appreciated because it came – I think it's pronounced Simone Weil, Weil and she is a sister – of a famous mathematician. Uh, her brother was Andre Weil, and uh, any math geeks out there maybe know about him. But anyway, he was uh, famous because he, in 1940, came up with a proof of the Riemann hypothesis for the zeta functions of curves over finite fields, which uh, I understood the first part of that the Riemann hypothesis for the Zeta function. So any person that has touched and improved upon Riemann's hypothesis for Zeta functions uh, is a remarkable guy. But anyway, that's uh, Simone's brother. But back to the book, Simone is a philosopher, and uh, she's had this quote that every being cries out silently to be read differently. And uh, I will throw that back at you, Mister Philosopher Brian. Uh, what do you think that's trying to say?
0: Well, I, you know, as a philosopher, you, you've got two different ways to look at things, and this literature is the same way. You know, if if we could get Francis on here, and maybe we could sometime. I don't. I guess I don't know exactly what his status is, but when you're reading, and she says read differently, and I think you know she's talking about who we are. But when you read literature like this, if he was on, and we'd say, well, what did you mean by this? You know, that's the best way to do it is ask the author, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, "Well, it meant to me," and it, and it's okay, I think, to some extent. But I, I think she's kind of read differently, maybe read in a way that makes not maybe is more accurate, but maybe has more meaning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's and that, and Francis gets into that so much with his his idea of of finding meaning and purpose and value and beauty and all those chapters we're going to hit later. But I think that's what she means, you know. Read differently, maybe accurately or more uh, lining up to who I really am, you know. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what she means. Uh, I hope that's what. And and again, I can say what it means to me, but ultimately, be nice to ask her what it meant to her.
1: (laughs) You probably know. (laughs) Well, one of the things that Francis did right after that, early in chapter one, is he introduces a guy named Christopher Jackson, and Christopher. is in prison. And as far as I know, he's currently in prison because he had a 25-year sentence and this book is not 25 years old. Uh, But while he was in prison, uh, he discovered math and math was kind of like his go-to passion while he was in prison. And he's been writing letters back and forth to Francis and they've been collaborating about mainly math things, but probably more important, how math has impacted each other's as human beings. And what Francis was saying is given Christopher's past, uh, the things he was convicted of as a felon, which, of course, uh, were not pretty things, but would he want to be read differently? In other words, what is our image of what we think about when we think about people, felons in prison who have committed violent crimes serving 25-year sentences? We've, we've got this image of who they are. And it's probably not someone that's going to be sitting around enjoying doing math problems. And yet here Christopher is doing those things. And I think to me, the lesson I'm getting out of it is how easily it is to, uh, stereotype or put labels on people for who they are. And that usually is not a helpful practice to do. And it falls way short of really. What people truly are, and also limits what potential they could become.
0: Yeah, and the potential I think is so key because obviously this guy he and if if you're what's really cool in the book is you get you get pieces of those that of that correspondence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it's in every chapter, but and I, I think he even wrote I uh, well I can look quick here. I think he wrote the, you know the dedication for the Christophers and the Simones of the world. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've already talked about about both of them. But I think the thing that came out there was the affection, you know, the uh, the fondness for math. You know, Christopher had mm-hmm. that. You've talked about that at, at a high level uh, before we, you even read this book, Dave. And I, I think uh, one of the metaphors, I always like the metaphors uh, that he has in the in anything. But he has some good ones there. You know, on page eight, he said a society without mathematical affection, which I thought was a neat word. Is like a city without concerts, parks, or museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- that was, you know, you could, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about should I get this book, I, mean, I would de- highly recommend you get it. And then if you interacted with us on it, that'd be great too. But that's a, that's kind of a quintessential line. It kind of, it kind of, mm-hmm. it's like an example of what you're going to get, you know. And, mm-hmm. and he'll go off on farther on that. But it's such a new right. concept.
1: Yeah, it is. In fact, to be honest, when I first read that, I kind of was taken back, like. How could that? I mean, I don't really think of math connecting to parks or whatever. But as I get older, uh, I have seen the more the value of those things in our community. You know, I love taking my grandkids to parks. I love taking walks through parks. Uh, And so there's uh, a lot of things that I benefit from. Like (laughs) uh, this morning, I woke up with a headache and I just sitting around and couldn't get rid of it i'd been having it all weekend and i went out and went for a walk on a nice trail and it came back and the headache was gone and so that's just a little thing but there's just amazing things that help you flourish by just getting outside and doing those things and so i'm you know as i'm getting older i'm starting to appreciate more about how those different things impact us as people and then to throw math in that was a curveball for me and i'm You know, a math fanatic, but the more I thought about it, the more I really uh, agreed with it. And then, you know, I guess just to use my own life as an example, like this weekend, pretty much all my free time I spent was doing some math problems and creating math videos of things that I did not need to do. And I chose to do just for fun, but it was my kind of way to relax, to escape just to uh kind of reconnect and discover and there's you know I was reflecting on all the things that I benefited from when I do that and you know I could have spent time watching you know NFL football or watching TV or you know all those other options out there and none of those are bad options but uh, I find that it's not the same as when I engage with math it it changes me it enlightens me and and so that quote, even though it seemed to be a stretch at first, the more I think about it, the more I, I tend to agree that he's really on to something.
0: And I think, you know, it's interesting. I wonder how if he was just he thought of a few things and put it out there. If he deeply thought about the three things he said, you know, concerts, parks and museums, it does go back. We, we've hit a couple of those, I think, uh, or maybe all three, especially the concerts. You know, we've we've had a couple math. Videos and and podcasts over uh, how how music is so mathematically informed and 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 how knowing math and the way the different frequencies and all different kinds of things like that we talked about the pentatonic shime one I think comes to mind and then parks and museums too it's like art and architecture you know and you know mm-hmm. all the the math and you know and his whole point I think was that you know how do you say it? without the opportunity to play with beautiful ideas you know that's his that's kind of another way he puts it in there. And then there's obviously going to be a a chapter just on beauty, but that's a different way of looking at it. That's why I think maybe this book resonated so much with you because you've kind of been an ambassador for that uh, for quite a while about, you know, math isn't just, I think as you started the podcast, the idea of utilitarian that it has, well, when you look at flourishing, that's like fondness. You look at affection. That's like, you know, something that you you have emotion almost with, you know, affection sometimes is another word for love. You know, mm-hmm. so there's so much more depth to it. Uh, and uh, for listeners, if you're looking for something, you, it, no matter what you are, if you're a financial consultant or whatever, or, or you're a math teacher, you, you know, this would be a good book to kind of just deepen your uh, ideas when you start, as he says, playing with the beautiful ideas.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I hadn't thought about it till you just mentioned that, but it resonated, brought back some thoughts that I is I reflect on this weekend, like, why did I spend all this time doing something I didn't need to do and chose to do it for fun? And some of the details about it was I was working on a new proof of the Pythagorean theorem. And uh, recently, I have for the first time gone through the original proof that Euclid did. And of course, you know, Euclid is the famous guy that started Euclidean geometry. So he would be in the Hall of Fame of any maths uh, Hall of Fame you ever had because he's the one essentially that put geometry on the roadmap. So you know he he is an elite mathematician, and you know he came up with a proof, and I was able to go through it and I was able to understand it, even though it took me a while. But I was able to follow along and find out um, and, and understand what he was doing and agree with him at the end, and so. Even though he is at that elite level, the math he was sharing was something that I could uh, resonate with. And so I was thinking about that. Well, then the second proof I was looking at was written in you know 1938. So first of all, uh, think about that. Even though mathematicians have been playing with this for thousands of years, that there would be a proof that they hadn't come up with. There's already been hundreds of proofs, and yet they're still coming up with new ones which to me is fascinating that there are ideas improving this that someone has not thought about. But uh, here's one that came about in, I believe it was 1938. And the cool thing about it was it was uh, created by a uh, 16-year-old girl in high school. Wow. (laughs) And so you've got this wide range of spectrums. You've got like Euclid who is the founder of geometry, so to speak. And then you have the 16-year high school gal over 2,000 years later, and then all the math people in between that have looked at this theorem and come up with new perspectives on showing why it is true. And so that's just a really fascinating adventure in, I'd say, human flourishing uh, of how we can transcend cultures how we can transcend time how we can transcend age gender uh you know it's transcending everything and yet we're all agreeing that this theorem even though it's not intuitive is in fact true well
0: and, and that does come down to what he talks about with you know the skills that we need the, how you use math, I think uh, you know, the skills society may may get from math may change. You know, obviously, when you go back when those theorems were in the 1900s, they weren't talking about probably airplanes and you know and computers and all that stuff that math may inform. But I think the way he put it was, uh, even though society's needs may change, uh, the skills we need, the virtues needed for math, not going to change. Th- that's mm-hmm. constant, and and I think that's one of the things that flows through this book. And maybe flows through kind of our whole endeavor with intersecting us is that that's, aren't we all kind of looking for something? And it doesn't have to be the only thing in your life, but something that has kind of a constant to it. That you mm-hmm. can count on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the Pythagorean theorem or Euclidean, Euclidean geometry or any of the proofs that you make, you make different, find, find different ways to do them, but they're not, you're going to be able to use them. You may use them in different ways, but they're not changing. I mean, the, the truth mm-hmm. of them is not changing. Mm-hmm which helps us flourish. And and I like the way he got into that with, he even used a nice, uh, you know, Greek word, uh, eudaimonia, which means the highest good. It's a Greek word. You know, the Greeks were getting big into human flourishing and and he moved into virtue with that, which I thought was kind of cool because we don't think of math and virtue as being really related at all. Right. Uh, But I think that's more of a, Maybe a contemporary Western view and maybe not so much a Greek view or even he used the Hebrew word shalom, which if you know anything about Hebrew, it is a very, very three-dimensional word. I mean, Mm -hmm. some people, this is peace, but it's got more about flourishing and more about Mm -hmm. some people even translated love and mercy and has something to do with relationship. and, And but it really comes down. But the word that he used it for was was virtue along with mm-hmm. the Arabic word uh, salam, which also has that same thing. So it this, I like the way he did that. He brought that mm-hmm. in, the virtue, the virtue, and, and, and I'll quote him from page 11, the skills society needs for math may change, but the virtues needed for math will not. And I thought, what a cool way mm-hmm. to look at it.
1: Mm-hmm. My daughter uh, graduated with a nursing degree, and I remember going to her graduation. And if we think about nurses, uh, that's one profession where I think it's easy to see a very virtu- virtuous profession. You know, they care for people. They're probably not making the salaries that the doctors are. They're doing all the hard work. They've got good bedside manners, and they just bottom line they care about the well being of their patients. And that's kind of what we think about with nurses. And so that is one of the professions that seems to be really uh, a great profession from a humanity perspective. And at her graduation, the one word, I guess they used it from the time she arrived four years before till graduation to remind them of was the word shalom and give them just one word picture of what they're trying to do. You know, they're not just learning medical information. They're trying to accomplish shalom. And so that's when I think of shalom. That's one of the things that comes to mind is, uh, that's what my uh, daughter was taught is what nurses do when they help other people. And so to coin that with math, I thought was, uh, very interesting. Well, it's
0: cool because when you, you know, he talked about that and you're talking about that with, with your daughter, the idea of human flourishing, if he looks at it from like a holistic way. It's, it's not just, we sometimes think, well, how can I flourish? My bank account can go up. I can have more friends. I can be more. But it really is. It's, it's one potential, you know, reaching our potential, but also helping others do the same. And that was big in his book and certainly big in the first chapter. And that goes back down into the idea of the virtue that comes with it, that if you're flourishing, the way he put it. Uh, I think was if you're flourishing, it can't be just an individual project, even though it is an individual project sometimes, that it, but there's something there for, for not just some sort of esoteric, we got to help people, but mm-hmm. the idea that that really is good for both. It's a win win, I guess I would say. And I think that's right. what those terms were always talking about, the win win of that, the idea that, you know, human flourishing uh, has to do and then you get back into that virtue um, that comes in there, that that goes together, that there's a, I think he had a comment even about having challenges. He said something about you live with integrity, with virtue, even in the challenging circumstances. And and again, you kind of get back to math. You know, sometimes this stuff is hard and you're trying to get to figure out and it's not that, the, you know, everything's not balancing like you want, but that the struggle is part of life and and part of flourishing is going through the struggle. And then sometimes like you kind of full circle back to a nurse. I mean, I'm sure there's days she gets home and it's like, this isn't worth it. (laughs) It's just like, it's too much work. But then, yeah, if she steps back and she thinks, you know what it is, because I'm, it's virtuous. It has individual uh, meaning to me, to her, but also it it helps other people flourish too, which I I thought, yeah, we're just touching the surface here in this first chapter, but, Uh, Mr. Sue is a deep guy. I mean, he's definitely, and he's able to write very intentional and deep things and meaningful things in a few amount of words, which is is quite a
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, And you think of of virtue, uh, rarely does uh, the word easy come to mind. And so most of these things we're talking about, you talked about like nurses, someday they may feel like that uh, it's not worth it, and you know math is certainly the same way. And so, as we're talking about these ideas, we don't want to give the impression that they're easy. In fact, it's the difficult things usually that that we need to do in order to get you know the better things in life. And so, he talked a little bit about Greek philosophers, and I'm sure that that struck a chord with you, Brian. Uh, he talked about courage, wisdom, patience. He brought in Aristotle and all kinds of things that are really right up your alley. So. Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think again, it, it shows how you know math mathematics. When we think about it, a lot of times it's got a structure to it. I mean, that's the thing that the beauty of it sometimes is because it's an elegant, you know. And I think that's the thing about philosophy too. Is philosophy is kind of the systematizing of the why questions, really, of trying to understand why things are and what what has purpose and meaning and depth and all these other things we talk about. So I think there's he does a good job of of, of Connecting those two intersecting those two. So to see that they can help each other. And, and I think that's a big help because bringing in Aristotle was great because Aristotle was so big. And so is Socrates, I guess. Uh, 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 the idea of if you're going to do something well, that the, the, the virtue, which obviously if there's virtue, there has to be some sort of objective truth or you can't have, virtue, you know, <laughs> you know, so there's just, it really gets into the meaning of life and stuff. And I think that's, and the value of it, which he kind of hits on toward the end of the chapter. But yeah, I thought that was really good. Cause I think in my mind, those just flow together easily, but I think most people don't look at it that way. And mm-hmm. he does a good job in, in the first chapter and, and certainly in successive chapters of showing that those aren't mutually exclusive, that they kind of help each other and understanding one can help you understand the other
1: one. Mhm. Right. Yeah, well cool. Well I know there's uh a lot that I get out of this and and yet uh as we talk about uh, the virtues of math and flourishing and all that I liked how he ended it. He he framed it so that he put things still in perspective. Uh and there's two things that I I felt like he ended it with and one thing was, he said, math doesn't make us better people than others. And so it's not like the idea of flourishing is going to make us superior to others. So it is, and you alluded to that a little bit earlier, it's not an individual comparison type thing. What it does is it flourishes the community. And so I think that that's important to have in the forefront of our mind is that this is just not another way for us to be you know better than others. That that's not the goal. The goal is that we look at the community and how can the community thrive, and it's less focus on us individually. Even though we will flourish, but it's not in a comparison type of way.
0: Yeah, and I think, and again, I, I like that uh, it's kind of almost a theological concept, but it's it, it becomes. Even political, sometimes, you know, the either or versus the both and, you know, sometimes we'd mm-hmm. like, well, you either are going to do individual things or I'm going to do community things. And if the community flourishes, then the individual can't or vice versa. And there are times where that's true, but he, a lot of times there, it's both and, you know, I, I pursue math because of the beauty and it he says, and I think we'll, we'll get into that later too in, in other podcasts, but it builds aspects of, of individual character and Mm -hmm. habits of your mind that really help but that helps society you know in and of itself but also thinking about that helps us i mean what difference does it make if you if you end up coming if for instance if they came up with the with finally figured out the 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 quantum way of things well who cares it's like oh you know well well for me it's fun i got well it also is going to have some human flourishing going with it so i think that was the idea of the both and he's hitting, but, but the cool, the the word that he uses, I I think he used it quite a bit. Kept coming was the word pursuit. You know, Mm. I love that, you know, the pursuit of math. I mean, who says that? It's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. He's like, we do math. Well, no, we pursue it. We're trying Mm -hmm. to to do it for all these different uh, and each chapter title is going to kind of give us a little more and more of that, but you're right. I I like uh, he'd, you know, here it is, we, we spent about a half hour talking about just the first chapter, and we just kind of sketched the surface of it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and then the other thing he framed to put this all in perspective at the end of chapter one was, he said that math is not the most important part of life. And so he's talking about uh, how valuable it is, and yet, at least from his perspective, it's not the most important thing in his life. And the way he finished it, he said, we must each discover what gives our soul its greatest purpose. And so I would agree with him on that as well. As much as I like math and as much as I encourage others to pursue math, for me personally, uh, it is not the most important part of my life. And so I, uh, I don't want to necessarily communicate that either.
0: Well, and I think you could take out, even if you read the whole book, you can take out math, put in science, take out math, put in philosophy, take out math, put in teaching. I don't know, whatever you gives you passion. Um, the idea that flourishing again, he's, he's going to do that more. And we encourage you to get the book, of course, but flourishing has to do, you have to define that. You know, what is it? What does it mean to flourish? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, he does a really good job of showing that there's some depth. And we've been trying to do that through our videos and some through our. Uh, podcasts and other things to show that there's a lot more depth to life uh, and math is just one of those ways that can help you see that because of its, uh, well, if it's infinite character, I think is good. So, Anything Mm -hmm. else as we sum up here on chapter one? We're going to probably get to I'm guessing chapter two next, but uh, in the next podcast.
1: (laughs) That's the way those positive integers work, isn't it? After one, two, two comes three, but uh, no, I'm really looking forward to it. This is one of those topics that's super deep. Uh, like you say, we scratched the surface. We could literally talk about this for hours. And yet it is so easy to talk to because it's really just communicating what I feel like I've been personally experiencing for the last several years. And so it's not like, and these are framed in different ways, but I, I think he's doing a great job of talking about what math can be. And and so as you read through the book, uh, I would second that I, I would agree that what he is saying is true because I feel like it's been true in my life. Yeah, and it does.
0: It hits you more than just an intellectual level. It, it kind of comes mm-hmm. at an emotional and psychological level. So. So yeah, we, we would hope you get it. It's called Mathematics for Human Flourishing by Francis Sue. And it also that the subtitle is with reflections by Christopher Jackson, which is this guy that's in, in, in print. So th- those are kind of neat because you kind of feel like you're part of the, the pen pal thing going on there. So we, we encourage you to get it. This one was on chapter one. We'll, we'll be doing chapter two, which is actually has a really interesting title. It's called exploration. So we invite you, uh, uh to come on to our next podcast uh, that comes up. Fairly soon, as we talk more and more about math and life intersecting.
1: This has been the Intersecting Us Podcast. To further engage with Intersecting Us, go to intersectingus.com.